Let me. I want to thank you all, all uh, for for those of you Tennesseans for embracing our um, our North Carolina youth pastor. I know that can be a stretch for you to do that, and you all have embraced him and loved him. And um, I just want to uh, say thank you for that. I know he appreciates it ever so much, and I think he's actually kind of starting to become one of us. It's been scary for him. I'm saying all this because he's not in here right now. Um, <clears throat> we're, we're coming up on Easter. And I think we're, what, does this Sunday and then next Sunday and then the Sunday after that's Easter, am I right? Is that right? And, you know, when we come up on uh, Easter, as Christian people, we experience the power of Easter or the resurrection every day of our life. But it's during Easter that we really kind of begin to, we, we put a focus on some things uh, about what Jesus did for us, about his death on the cross and his resurrection. And what I want to do is just take a minute, just a few minutes this morning, just to kind of um, teach a little bit and talk a little bit about what Jesus did the process, some of what he did for us as a reminder for every single child of God in this room of what the Lord did in changing history and the future. For us, it's history at the moment because we're looking back 2,000 years on what Jesus did. But it's not only changing history, but changing the future. Because what Jesus did changed everything. Are you with me on that? It changed everything. And he's the one that did it. So I want us to look at a passage of scripture and then I want to kind of explain a little bit, but there's one part of this passage that I want us to kind of lock on just for a minute this morning and then and we're just going to learn from it. We're just going to see what it means for us. And it's Mark chapter 15. If you have your Bible, you'd like to turn to Mark chapter 15, the book of Mark that's the second gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Mark chapter 15. Now, where we're going to pick up on this is where Jesus, Jesus is on the cross. He has already been through this mock trial. He has already been beaten and scourged. He's hanging on a cross. If you read prophetic uh, Psalm 22, you get a picture of what Jesus looked like hanging on that cross. And, he, and, and it, was, it was almost to the point that he says it didn't even look like a man. It, it looked like a probably more of a side of beef that it just, and, and for, for the young ones here, I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'll be as careful as possible, but I do need to just kind of set a little bit of this. With the whip, the cat of nine tails, the things that had been done, the crown of thorns, crown of thorns put upon his head, scepter coming down on that, ramming those thorns into his flesh, blood pouring down. The cat of nine tails, it was used with a uh, more like a whip that had a, about an 18-inch handle with these long strips of uh, leather and tied into the leather were stones and metal and those kinds of things. 
Jesus was taken. He was drooped over a, um, a post, whipped with that thing, and in the whole process, what it would do, and Jesus was not the only one that went through this, of course. This was a very, very severe uh, punishment that the Romans used. It was horrible. But that when they would whip them, the, 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 stone, the stone, the bone, whatever stuff that was used on the end of that would literally grip the flesh and rip it. Just rip it. Even to the point in that prophecy in Psalm 22, he was able to look down and see his bones. Jesus at that point now, we followed that all the way up, is hanging on the cross. He's already talked to the, the thief that was seeking to be in the kingdom of God with him, and Jesus already dealt with that, and so now we're at the point of Jesus' last breath on the cross. At noon, at noon, darkness came over the land. At noon, how many of you know it's not normal for darkness to come over the land at noon? At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And three, and at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment on the cross, Jesus is experiencing the the flood of everything, every sin that you ever committed, every sin that I ever committed, every sin that anybody has ever thought about committing, at that very moment upon Jesus, the flood of sin of the world comes upon him and he experiences at that moment something that he had never experienced before. He's about to experience death. This is the Son of God who came from heaven to earth into this world. This is the Son of God who came, put himself in a human body, lived his life, and now is dying on a cross. And there's a reason for that. Now keep going with me. When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. And they're making fun of him. Some ran and filled a sponge with wine and vinegar. They put it on a staff and they offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. And he, and he said, listen to this. They're making fun, making fun of him. And then, listen to this. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. If you could imagine an excruciating cry. If you can imagine a scream or a cry that would, that would curdle your blood. That's what Jesus screamed out. And then he, he breathed his last breath as a man on this earth. And listen to this. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Some of those who were making fun of him, some of those who were being so critical and so sarcastic, 
One of those looked and said, man, this is, this is, this is crazy. This is amazing. And surely this one, out of all the people that I, as a centurion, have seen die on a cross, out of all the people that I have seen die, hundreds and thousands on a cross, this one man was different. This one man was different than any other that died on a cross. Surely this is the Son of God. Now I want us to park on, on something right here. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What is the significance of this curtain in this temple being torn from top to bottom? Why even put it in there? Why is that significant? One little sentence that is so very significant in the entirety of this thing. Let me say something about the curtain first before we actually begin to explain a little bit of what the curtain is. That curtain, history says, was about 60 feet tall, was about 20 feet wide, 60 feet high, and that's a long ways up, 20 feet wide, and they said that the curtain was made by specific instruction, and it was as thick as a man's hand. It's not likely that a curtain just gets ripped, and the very fact that it was ripped from top to bottom rather than bottom to top is very significant as well. Here's what we have to understand. In the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, in the temple, you had an area that was called the holy place, and then you had the most holy place. The difference in the two was divided by this curtain. The holy place is here with this 60-foot curtain this 20-foot wide curtain, this curtain as thick as a man's hand, then separated the holy place from the most holy place. The holy place, priests would come and serve and offer sacrifices and, and things and, that they did. But in the most holy place, there was only one that was ever allowed in there, and that was the high priest. The high priest was the only one allowed, and I'm going somewhere with this, y'all track with me. The high priest was the only one ever allowed in the most holy place, and he was only allowed in there once a year. And there was very specific instruction on how it had to be handled, and when it was handled wrongly, death occurred to the priest who handled it wrongly. There's a reason for that. Because all of the Old Testament is a, is a set up, is a foreshadowing of Jesus to come and to handle haphazardly the things that directly related to Jesus coming to handle that haphazardly was to to handle haphazardly the very fact of what Jesus would do when we look back 2,000 years does that make sense it had to be a serious thing the high priest could go only go in once a year. If he went in twice, guess what happened? He died. He only could go in on the Day of Atonement. When he went in, he could only go in as he made sacrifice for himself and his own sin. And then he made sacrifice for all the people of Israel. One time, the Day of Atonement, once a year to pay the price for sin or to offer sacrifice for sin for all the people of Israel. If he did anything out beyond that, if he didn't offer the blood, he's dead. If he went in more than once a year, he's dead. They were very strict about how that had to be handled. 
Why? Because when we look at what Jesus did, Jesus offered a blood sacrifice for you and I, and he offered it once. He doesn't offer it twice, and we're going to learn a little more about that in just a minute. The sacrifice that Jesus made for you, he does not do twice. He did it one time. Now, get the picture of Jesus hanging on the cross and Jesus dying. He breathes his last breath, and the curtain is torn from top to bottom. What was that all about? Here's what it was all about. For the first time ever since the Garden of Eden, since the Garden of Eden, think about that, thousands of years ago in the Garden of Eden when God had a personal relationship with his kids, his creation, with Adam and Eve, the Father would walk in the Garden, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in communion with his man, Adam and Eve, walk through the Garden in a personal one-on-one relationship. They would talk to each other, they would commune with each other, they would sit with each other, but sin broke that. For the first time, for the first time since sin broke open into this world, we have got the penalty for sin being paid on the cross. Jesus, the only one that could go in because he now is the new high priest. Jesus walked into that temple. He didn't literally walk in, but he stepped into the place of the priest that offer the sacrifices of sin. Jesus stepped into that place and he became our high priest. And now there's no longer need. The father rips this curtain. Our father rips this curtain from top to the bottom, finally saying, now we can have communion once again. The communion that was lost in the Garden of Eden because of sin is taken care of. Now you and I, father and children, we can walk together. We can talk together. We can be together. Once again, we can do that all because of what Jesus did. No longer do we need a man to stand in for us for our sin. There is never a need for you or me to go to a man and ask a man to get forgiveness from God for us. Jesus took care of that on the cross. Are you with me? Jesus took care of it on the cross. You go to him Yourself, you can walk into his presence. You can be there with him. Look at Hebrews. Okay, I've got to slow down. (sighs) Breathe. Hebrews chapter 10. Because I don't want you to leave. I don't want you to leave excited. Not, I don't know if you said or not. I don't want you to leave. I want you to leave with more knowledge. Excited, yes. Inspired, yes but also with more knowledge. Because here's what I want you to know. The only thing that you and I have to fight the enemy with is the Word of God. Are you with me? And I'm afraid we become, and I don't, I'm talk, not talking about harvest, I'm talking about the church in our country, we've become a pretty mushy church to the point that we depend as much on what we feel and what we think and what our opinions are as we do on the Word of God. And, and I will tell you, if I go in to fight the enemy with my feelings and my thoughts on any subject, I'm going to get my butt kicked. Right? The Word of God is the only thing. What did Jesus do when Jesus was tempted? What did Jesus do when he was tempted? 
Did he go in there saying, well, uh, let me tell you what I think. Oh, let me give you my opinion of, oh, no, this is how I feel. But, but devil, let me tell you how I feel. No, he quoted scripture. He quoted scripture. The only weapon we have against the devil is, is scripture, rightly divided scripture. Are you with me? Not scripture out of context, rightly divided scripture. Okay, bud, stop it, get on this. Let's look at this. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 19, 19 through 23. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. Remember I was talking about the most holy place? Would they have ever had confidence in the old covenant to enter that? Why not? They would have died, right? Why? Because they were sinners. Don't ever say... I'm, a, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. When you're saved, you're not an old sinner anymore. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are made righteous. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you can read that. When you are saved and you trust Jesus, you are made holy. Read the book of Hebrews. You are made holy. You are made what you could not have been otherwise. So then he says... We have confidence in the most holy place by, by what? By, by being sincere? By having a good religion? By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. The Old Testament was not a living way, it was a dead way. The law never brought anything but death. It wasn't meant to bring life. It was meant to expose the very fact that sin can do nothing but bring death and mankind can do nothing but sin. And unless our sin problem is taken care of, we're all in trouble. So Jesus comes and he goes to the cross and he dies on the cross to take care of our sin problem through his blood so that we now can come and walk into the most holy place into the very presence of the Father. He opened up a living way, opened up for us through the curtain. Remember that curtain? Ripped, and now we walk through. That is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance that faith brings. Stop there a minute. We now rather than being afraid to come into the presence of a God, can walk into the presence of God in Jesus Christ. He is our mediator. We, we can walk into the holy of holies, into the most holy place, into the very presence of God ourselves, and we can do it with confidence when we come in faith. When we walk in in faith. Now, here's what I want to do. With what, what few minutes I've got left, I want to give you three things, kind of practical, just three quick practical things that we can do with this. It's life-changing. We've, we've gone from an old covenant to a new covenant. And we didn't, God didn't say, I'm tired of the old covenant. Now, a lot of times we don't understand covenants in America because we talk more about contracts. And to us, contracts are just to be broken. 
contract's just a challenge to see if we can find an attorney smart enough to break it. Love has to be the way. Love has to be the way. Are you with me? How many of you ever watched Daniel Boone? I don't. Some of you are going to age yourself. But when I was little, I used to watch Daniel Boone. I loved it. Well, I found out it's still on. I set a DVR thing in, um, like, you know, on Saturdays, I take a couple of hours to watch Daniel Boone. It's awesome. So anyway, but I remember this one show when Israel, which was Daniel Boone's son, and, and, a, and a little Indian friend came together, and they were playing, and they were talking, and, and, and so they decided they were going to do, you know, what the grown-ups do anyway. They're going to cut covenant with each other. They're going to make a covenant, come into covenant relationship with one another. So Israel pulls out this big old hunting knife, and he goes, and he cuts himself. Blood. And the little Indian Native American did the same thing. Blood. And then they put their hands together. And they made a covenant with each other. A blood covenant. A covenant never to be broken. Now, people in other parts of the world really understand what it means to be in covenant. And they understand what blood covenant is. And God made a blood covenant with his people And in the Old Testament, it was not that we tried the Old Testament, let's see if it works. Well, no, it didn't work. Okay, let's see if we can find something else. Let's search heaven over and see who we find. Well, I don't know, maybe Jesus could do it. Jesus, do you want to go down there and down across for those people? No, Dad, why don't you see if there's somebody else in my... No, 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 that's not what happened. God knew from the very foundation of the world when he created us what was going to happen. And he did it anyway. That in itself is so awesome that he loved you so much that he knew all this was going to happen so he could have relationship with you. In the old covenant, God didn't say, I changed my mind. He said, it's fulfilled. He didn't just end the covenant and say, we don't want to do that one anymore. No, the new covenant is, first of all, the old covenant fulfilled through Jesus Christ on the cross, the perfect sacrifice behind the Holy of Holies, the perfect high priest in the Holy of Holies. He is the the fulfillment of the old covenant. And now we have a new covenant, which is a better covenant. That's number one. It's a better covenant. I think that's number one. It is number one. It's a better covenant. Listen Listen to this. Hebrews 8, 6. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is a superior to, to theirs as the covenant of which he is the mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises. You have a new covenant. Now let me tell you this. Unless you're here and you're, you're Jewish, number one, the old covenant was not even for you to start with. It was for the people of God. And even in the new covenant, we had to be adopted into the family. Read Ephesians. We're adopted into the family. We become a part of the covenant of God, but we now are a part of a covenant of grace. No longer a covenant of law 
No longer a covenant of laws that did nothing but produce sin and expose sin for what it was. We now are in a covenant of grace. It is a better covenant. It is a covenant where God... Grace is that way of God being able, it's it's God's unmerited favor. It's God's unmerited favor. It means you can't earn it. It doesn't matter what you do, how often you go to church. It doesn't matter how much you give. It doesn't matter any of, no, it's unmerited, which means you can't earn the grace of God. You receive it by faith. You receive it by faith, but you can't earn it. You're God's favorite. How many of you ever get up in the morning and say, I am I'm God's favorite kid? I do it often. Lord, I know I'm your favorite. And he says, Bud, you really are, but don't tell the rest of them. I am God's favorite. And you're God's favorite. If you're born again, you're a child of God, his favor is on you. Does that make sense? God doesn't have favorites in that he chooses one person over another in that fashion. It's not that he looks at me and says, but I love you more than I love her because of what she's done. Or, but I love you less because of what you've done than I do somebody that hasn't done that. No, the blood of Jesus Christ and the grace of God wipes the slate clean. In the Old Testament, it covered sin for a while. In the New Testament, our sin is washed away. Does that make sense? Is that awesome? See, the five sinners here know. Tim, me and you, I'd say we must have sinned a whole lot because understanding that grace gets excited, doesn't it? See, if I had to pay for all of my sins... Jeremy Jones, where would you be, brother, if you had to pay for them yourself? We can't, but Jesus did it for us. Jesus paid it for us, and you are his favorite child. How, I, heard, I heard a preacher here recently, and, um, and I, was listen, I was listening to uh, one, one of his programs, and I heard him say, make a comment, and he said, if you're honest, parents... You have a favorite. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm honest, and I don't have a favorite. Now, if I was going to, Joshua, are you in here? Kayla? Nikki? I'm just going to choose the one that's in here right now, okay? I don't have a favorite. I love my three children fully, completely. There's, how do you have a favorite? And that's how God is. My kids are so different. So different. And I love them all. I can remember, I can remember with, with, with Kayla and Nikki picking them up from, 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 uh, elementary school in the car, pick them up in the car, get in the car. And, and, and I'd say, how did your day go? And it was like a machine gun got turned loose. And, and it was everything. I mean, you, we heard it all. Go by, go pick up Joshua from school. Joshua, how'd your day go? Good. How was, was class okay? Yeah. 
Did you learn anything? Yep. <laughs> Kids are so different, aren't they? Aren't they so different? All of our, but don't we love them, each one, just as much as the other with a love that can't be separated and can't choose favorites? Let me tell you something. All three of my children have the favor of Bud. You have the favor of God all over your life. And when you start to believe that, that God is a good God, and that you have the favor of God in His grace, you have the favor of God, He wants to walk with you, He wants to talk with you, He wants to spend time with you, He wants to show you mysteries, He wants to reveal uh, wisdom that, that others don't have, He wants to reveal all of those things to you in His grace. He just wants His kids to walk with Him. And I'm going to tell you, when you start to walk with Him, it's crazy good. It's crazy good. It is absolutely crazy good. We have a covenant. It's a better covenant. It's not temporary. The old covenant, those sacrifices were temporary. I mean, they had to do it every year. What Jesus did doesn't have to be done every year. It's not temporary. It's eternal. Are you with me? I'm going to read a passage in just a second, but do you realize having the Holy Spirit living in us as God's kids? They didn't have that in the Old Testament. I mean, there were times we read about when the whole, when the Holy Spirit moved upon them, but he did not abide in them, could not abide in them until the temple was cleansed. And once the temple, you, me, once this temple was cleansed and the curtain was torn, then the Holy Spirit can move in. Are you with me on that? Do you know how awesome that is? Do you know that the Old Testament saints would look at us with envy at the very fact that we, day in, day out, every time I wake up, every time I go to bed, every breathing second, the living God lives on the inside of me. Number two, you have full access. We have full access because of what Jesus did. Because the temple because he became our high priest, because he tore the curtain in the temple down. We have full access. Listen to this. Therefore, is Hebrews 4, uh, 14 and 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has been ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, this is one thing that is so sad about every other religion in this world and Christianity. And Christianity is not a religion, and that's what makes it different. We have a God, a high priest, who can empathize with our temptations and our struggles. None of the others can do that. If you don't believe it, read some of their holy books. The others can't empathize 
We have one that can empathize because he came here. He was God. He never diminished his godhood. He lived in a, a human body and he faced temptation just like we do. But he never sinned. And it was because he never sinned he was able to pay the price that nobody else could pay. Now listen to this. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. I love this. This is free access. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Did you hear what he said? Let him approach the throne of grace timidly. Right? You're listening. There was a whole bunch of heads shaking, yes. And that just tells me you're not listening. Listen, I I need you to listen to me. You don't approach the throne of grace timidly. You don't approach the throne of grace in fear. He just said do it with confidence. How can we approach the throne of grace with confidence? Because of Jesus. We can come before the very throne of grace because of Jesus. Now, number three, and I'm gonna, this, this is it. Number three, uh, it's, it's complete. I'm not going to re- Hebrews 9, 11, and 12. But when Jesus came as a high priest of the good things that are now re- already here, he went through the greater, the more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, not a part of creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, okay? Those were temporary. But he entered the most holy once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. And then you can go on and read Hebrews 10, 8, 8 through 18. But both of those say it's done. What Jesus did, he did once and for all. There's one sacrifice for your sin. One. Jesus can't keep dying over and over. Your sin is paid for. You're under the grace of God. But listen to me. When we hear what we've just read and heard, how could anybody walk out and say, thank God for the grace of God. Now I can go do anything I want to do, live any way I want to live. It's impossible. You can't just do it and stay there. Now, yeah, we can all stray and we can all make a mess of our lives. But I want to tell you something. When you begin to realize the love of Jesus, how could we continue to walk in way? I'll tell you what I think is happening. Not in every situation, but in some situations. I think there's some people who have grown up in church, but they've never been born again. I think they grew up in church, but they never chose Jesus. They were never born again. And you can't think because... Y'all are going to force me to read this verse, aren't you? Okay, I'm going to do it. She's forcing me. But you listen, listen, listen really closely. First he said, sacrifice, and, I, and I'm almost, I, I'm, I'm really, I'm almost done. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire. That was not God's desire to start with, but that was the process that was used, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here am I, Jesus. I've come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy. We have been made holy 
through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus once and for all. Did you hear that? We have been made holy because we live holy? No, we live holy because we've been made holy. Do we live righteously because to, to be righteous? No, we live righteous because we've been made righteous. Because it's what's on the inside. It's because an apple tree doesn't produce oranges. The apple tree produces apples because apple juice is in it. <laughs> day after day. Every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, Jesus, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. The devil is getting his due. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. How are you being made holy? That's exactly right. Faith in Jesus. One sacrifice, faith in that sacrifice, is how you're made holy. Now listen to this. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this first. He says, listen to this. This is the covenant that my, I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their heart, and I will write them on their mind. We do not need the Old Testament law, because what is important to God, he puts in the mind and the heart of his kids. It's there. That's what I'm saying, that there is something inside of us, the Holy Spirit's presence, the very fact that God put His laws on our heart. What are those laws? We are to love God with everything in us and love each other with everything in us, love each other the way He loves us. If you keep those two things, everything gets accomplished. Does that make sense? If you keep those two things, if you love God with everything in you and you love each other the way he loves us, every law is done. Every law is accomplished. Now, if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, Jesus said you must be born again. Now, how do I know that, that you were born the first time? Huh? Somebody tell me. Because you're here. Yeah, I can see you. If you look at me and say, but I've never been born. Yeah, well, I'll see you. But the same way there was a first birth... Jesus said you've got to be born again, which means there's got to be a second birth. And that second birth, that second birth is a spiritual birth. Jesus said that. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to invite you to do that this morning. I want to invite you just to take, and whether it's this morning or whether it's later today or whether it's this week or whenever, here's what I want you to do is take time to just say, Lord, you know what? I've been hanging out with your people, like them pretty good. Um, but here's what I want. 
I need, I want you. I want to know you. I want you in my life. And so, Lord, I believe in you, and I'm trusting you right now, the sacrifice that you paid for my sins. I am repenting of my sins, turning away from my sin. I am accepting your forgiveness for my sins. I thank you for that. And you can be born again. And then you begin your journey with the Lord. And then for the rest of us who have been born again, let's just be reminded all over again how powerful, how powerful this thing is that Jesus has done. It changed the world forever. And it brought us back in now. If he paid that kind of price so that you and I could get up and every day of our life walk with the Lord, if we don't do that, we're, it's, like just, it's like saying, Lord, that wasn't important what you did. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to take advantage of what Jesus did for all of us by opening a way up so that we, every day of our life, can walk in a relationship with our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you, Lord, for for what you did in opening the way for us to enter into a new covenant with you. You are faithful. You are faithful even when we're not. Your faithfulness never goes away. And we thank you, Lord, for the privilege. Teach us what is involved in our new covenant with you and help us walk in it. In Jesus' name. Amen. You are.